0: Welcome to episode 37 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. Today, we're going to take a look at this idea promoted by governments across the country that it is the unvaccinated who are filling up the hospitals and the ICUs, thus putting an unreasonable strain on the healthcare system. They've been pushing this notion for at least a couple of months and have used it to justify their vaccine mandates. But is it true? We'd also like to talk a little bit about the Justice Center's 2021 George Jonas Freedom Award, which was given out a couple of weeks ago, We would have talked about it before this, but our discussion of that was put off, preempted by the Manitoba Lockdown Court decision, the subject of last week's podcast. Just a quick note on that topic. All the Manitoba court documents, affidavits, replies, cross-exam notes, are now available to the public on the Justice Center website for all you legal eagles, professional and otherwise. I've updated the show notes under that podcast, and I'll add a link under this one. Now, I had the topic list for this podcast set, but then John said he wanted to start by talking about something else. So, John, what is on your mind as we head into this month of November 2021? Well, I'm just appalled at what I see as the, the most vicious
1: and most widespread discrimination in Canadian history or at least I asked the question, is this the most vicious and widespread discrimination where you need a, a QR code uh, with the correct data uh, to show that you've, you've had two injections of the experimental mRNA gene therapy. And if you don't have that, you are discriminated against because you cannot go to a restaurant, a movie theater, a gym, and all kinds of other places. You cannot set foot at Prince Edward Island, one of my staff lawyers told me it is illegal for parents to be at a a ball game soccer game outside with other parents if they're not vaccinated
0: if you can believe okay. that.
1: So you need a double injection there just to be outdoors to watch your own kid. I have heard from parents in Alberta and I'm sure it's the same in other provinces where the parent cannot accompany their own five-year-old, into a change room for a ballet class or a dance class or something else. The parent has to stay out, uh, usually the mom, but mom or dad has to stay outside. You send your five-year-old in to navigate her way through the throng of people and get into the change room. And I, I'm all for, you know, encouraging, uh, independence in children, but this is insane that a five year old now has to navigate his or her way into a, a change room and you know, change and find the locker and, and, and do this or that. So this is vicious discrimination against people that are refusing to take part in what is effectively an experiment. And I call it an experiment, uh, because, uh, the um, The argument has been that this is not a violation. Mandatory vaccines are not a violation of the Nuremberg Code, uh, which is not a law, but it's a medical code of ethics that says that we need a full informed, voluntary consent to any medical treatment. Vaccine is obviously it's a form of medical treatment, right? It's supposed right. to protect you from an illness, so. The argument's been raised, well, the but the government approved the vaccine, therefore it is not experimental. Well, no, I guess you have different degrees of what is experimental or not. These are rushed through in a matter of months when normally it takes vaccines years. And the mRNA gene therapy is not call it a vaccine if you want, but it's fundamentally different from, say, the polio vaccine where you're getting injected with a tiny bit of dead virus and it's the actual virus that you're getting injected with. Here you're getting injected with something that's going to change your genes to create antibodies. So it's very different. It has not been subjected to any long-term safety testing. Therefore, it's an experiment. People not willing to participate in the experiment are being punished through vicious, deliberate, aggressive discrimination, When it comes to uh, getting onto an airplane, uh, going to public facilities, going to a gym, a restaurant, a bar, a pub, participating. And it's the government is forcing every restaurant, every business has to comply with these things, which makes it very different from... Various bigotries that have existed in the past where a business owner might say, well, you know, we don't serve Jews or we don't serve blacks or we don't serve Catholics or we don't serve gays or we don't, you know, whatever. You've got the private bigotry, which is a bad thing. However, it is, I would argue, is less bad than when you have a government law that forces every business to discriminate against a group. Because when you have bigotry, in a free society, you still have alternatives. So the you know, Blacks, Jews, Catholics, gays, uh, whatever minority group that is uh, on the receiving end of the discrimination, they do have some alternatives to go somewhere else. But what we've got now is worse insofar as the government compels, requires every business to engage in the discrimination and is ruthlessly aggressive. Uh, we saw no papers pizza Uh, which apparently was called no papers prior to the the vaccine passport is what Mm -hmm. I was told. So it was not a political name chosen for this purpose. But no papers pizza said we are not complying with this vicious discrimination against individuals who choose not to be part of the big experiment and just ruthlessly punished by the Alberta government, had their liquor license pulled, their food license pulled, premises shut down, you name it. So this is very different from the bigotries of days gone by because it is government mandated and everybody is forced to participate in this vicious and utterly unscientific discrimination against a minority. And um, you know, it, it, it's reminiscent. Uh, if you want to look at government discrimination and put that you know, separate and apart from, from various bigotries against various minorities that are more on a social level – you know, we had the Japan, the internment of the Japanese Canadians during World War II. Uh, that was a significant human rights violation. Fear-based.
0: Well, yeah, I was just going to say, don't they have, isn't the, in Alberta anyway, aren't there some Weasley words in there that allow them to sort of say, well, you're going to participate if you are participating in this program? then uh, you have to do these certain things. But you can choose not to participate, but then they limit the amount of people you can have in your establishment. I think there's some kind of weaselly thing where you can get out of certain aspects or certain businesses can at any rate. So
1: It's an abuse of the word choice. I'm still appalled by a debate that took place in early October. It's worth seeing. Uh, there's a group called Canada Strong and Free Network, and they had a conference in uh, in Alberta early October. Uh, I, I believe it's posted on their website. If you look for Canada Strong and Free Network, and you look at their uh, October uh, networking conference, and there's a debate there between Queen's University law professor Bruce Party and uh, Jonathan K, who is well known as a Uh, once upon a time national post columnist and now he writes for a publication called Quillette. And he's had a very illustrious writing career and he's a very smart guy and he's a very good writer and he's very thoughtful and he's very insightful. And I was really disappointed to hear him say that these vaccine passports are not a problem because you have a choice. Uh, You know, you don't, you can just, you don't have to be in a a stadium with 50,000 Blue Jays fans right, because he wants to go to a stadium without these, you know, vile, unvaccinated lepers uh, spreading disease, you know, as if Jonathan Kaye and all the vaccinated folks are not also and equally spreading viruses, right? This is utterly unscientific. Uh, But it's disappointing to hear uh, intelligent people to parrot this line, say, well, you have a choice. Well, actually, there's a a kernel of truth in it, you know, if the... uh, That's all they need. There's a kernel of truth. Yes, you have a choice in the same way that if if somebody pulls, if somebody, uh, if some robber puts a knife to your throat and and says, uh, you know, give me your wallet uh, or I'll, I'll, I'll slit your throat or they've got a gun to your head, I'll pull the trigger. You have a choice. You don't have to give mm-hmm. them your wallet. You can call their bluff and say, okay, go ahead, make my day. You know, it's like the Godfather, uh, the movie, you know, it's like, well, you know, how can he sign the contract? Oh, well, we made him an offer. He couldn't refuse. Well, what was the offer? And he said, well, you know, we said, I'm going to count to 10. And when I finish counting, when I reach the number 10, either your signature or your brains are going to be on that contract. So did that person have a choice? Well, yes, they did. They could have chosen to have their brains on the contract rather than the signature. So it's this kernel of truth, say, well, you know, the unvaccinated, they have a choice. They can just go get the vaccine. But why should anybody be compelled to participate in a big
0: medical experiment? Yeah, well, it's not even the fact that it's an experiment. Why should anybody be compelled to take a vaccine? Regardless. You, could, you could make
1: the argument, if you had conclusive and, and persuasive and unrefutable scientific proof uh, that the unvaccinated were solely responsible for spreading terrible diseases, and that all the vaccinated people were not spreaders of the virus. If that was the truth, then you could make an argument to say, look, the unvaccinated are the the vile disease spreaders and all the the good vaccinated, that it's really immoral because not only are you harming yourself, but you're harming all of society, right?
0: right? You
1: could make that argument. But the science is not there, and how do we know that? Well, you look at Israel, uh, the most vac- heavily vaccinated country in the world, and you've got there uh, plenty of vaccinated people in hospitals with COVID, you know, or one of the COVID variants. So the vaccine is not stopping the spread of COVID. We see it in Iceland. Uh, we've seen it in university campuses in the United States, where you've got a ninety-eight percent vaccination rate. And you still got COVID? Is out and about at a place that's ninety-eight percent vaccinated, and you're not even allowed to set foot on campus. Uh, which, by the way, Canada is rapidly coming to where you you cannot set foot on campus unless you've uh, been, been injected with the experimental mRNA gene therapy. And and yet the virus is still spreading.
0: And yeah, the same thing happened in Waterbury County. I think it was in Ireland. They had something like ninety nine percent vaccinated, and they still have the disease there. They
1: still have the disease. People are still getting COVID. People are still getting sick. So that, that, that that's the distinction. I'm I'm saying like hypothetically, hypothetically, if if the unvaccinated were really these uh, terrible terrible disease spreaders that politicians like Jason Kenney and and uh, Justin Trudeau are making. Unvaccinated people out to be. If that was actually true, you could theoretically you could have a valid medical scientific basis for saying, well, you know, we we really do need to exclude you. Uh, in the same way that that in uh, the Jews of the Old Testament would have argued that they had a scientific basis for excluding lepers from society because leprosy did spread by contact. So if you had leprosy, which Apparently, Bible scholars are saying it referred to various skin diseases, not just leprosy per se. Um, But there'd be a a valid medical scientific basis for saying, okay, well, leprosy spreads through contact. So if you have leprosy, because we don't want 100% of the population getting afflicted by leprosy, we're going to cast you out of the community to go live with other lepers, which is really harsh and really uh, cruel and, and harsh. And it's really hard on those people. However, you know we have we have no choice. we have to exclude these people to stop them from spreading leprosy among society. So there you have a harshness and a cruelty that has a medical scientific basis to it. Uh, whereas here you're excluding people like unvaccinated parents, you know they cannot' accompany their kids into a change room situation. They can't even go to this public swimming pool for which they're paying tax dollars. They can't even take their own kids. You can't have mom and dad and three kids going to a public swimming pool together that, right. that they're paying taxes for. Not allowed. Why? What's the medical basis? Well, that it's a false notion that these people are somehow dangerous disease spreaders to a larger extent than what vaccinated people are. And that's simply not true.
0: Okay. We are actually kind of grading into the main topic then is, you know, the the whole idea of what they some people have called the pandemic of the unvaccinated we'll get to that in a sec first of all i want to put you on the spot because you talked about this horrible discrimination do you think it's going to end i think i think
1: i think it will end but my what i have absolutely no clue about is how many months or probably years is this going to take now my confidence Hmm. is based on this I, i believe that truth eventually wins out over lies so I mean, eventually people will realize that the the, the COVID that hit us in uh, like late 2019, I suppose, but it you know became a major media story in March of 2020. People will eventually look back and say that this was not the Spanish flu of 1918, which is the warning that put the world into a state of terror. People will eventually eventually realize that that this was not the Spanish flu of 1918. This was in the range of a bad. Annual flu. People will eventually realize the truth that the death rates in 2020 were very much in line with death rates in 2019, 2018, 2017. Uh, People will eventually recognize these truths and and it'll be the majority of society that recognizes the truth. So I believe truth triumphs over evil. The problem, uh, sorry, truth triumphs over the lie and similarly good triumphs over evil. So people will one day look back and say, You know, this was just wicked, vicious discrimination against a minority of unvaccinated people. It was not legitimate. It was not scientific. It it did nothing useful to help society. It didn't protect anybody. It was just, it was all bad and nothing good about it. My only thing is, is that going to be six months, 12 months, uh, 24 months, three years, five years? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I had read a column just recently where he talked about, or the author had talked about governments and the vaccine companies trying to drag this out at least until spring of next year. They're going to keep vaccinating and vaccinating with boosters on boosters, just trying to drag it out until natural immunity actually builds up. And then they're going to just claim victory with the vaccines. Because the vaccines, I I guess, are proving quite leaky and leakier and leakier by the day. So that was his his theory anyway. And I thought that was interesting uh, that we'll eventually get out of this with natural immunity. It's just because, you know, vaccines aren't the savior that we thought they were going to be.
1: No, I mean, you know, it was this whole, yeah, just get two shots and you'll be good forever. Well, in in Israel uh, in early October, the government said, unless you get your third injection with the experimental substance, you will not be allowed to go to restaurants and gyms and this, that, and the other thing. You're not going to have a life. So people complied and now to keep their passport uh, valid, uh, it, everybody in Israel that, that's got the QR code that has the vaccine passport uh, has now had a third shot. And in British Columbia uh, has announced that starting in January people will be, I don't know urged or, or encouraged and I'm sure no doubt you know not long thereafter compelled to get a third shot. In January. So we're gonna be drugged forever by whatever the government decides that we need to get injected with. And this is the this is the core problem, right? But why why would you assume that this is gonna stop with the mRNA? Once you accept that government can control your life and manage you based on a QR code and strip you of your human rights and civil liberties. Uh, if you don't have the right qualifications of what – established by government, okay? So what is to stop government from saying that your QR code is not valid uh, unless you can prove that you have not been on any hateful websites in the past three months? You've got to have a clean search history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, How, I understand. So what so.
1: do you say about that? Well, I know I know, Jonathan Kay would say that he would fight like a – He would fight like a roaring lion and he would be totally against this. And, you know, he would say that, no, you know, the government has no business uh, knowing or monitoring what websites I go to. It's none of the government's business. Further, even if it was the government's business, whether a website is hateful or not is entirely subjective. Nobody can come up with a reliable uh, measurement for that right mm-hmm. i don't need to give examples no so, of course not. but, but okay. you know once you have got the qr code once you've got people in sheep like fashion accepting that it's okay for the government to deny them uh, a whole bunch of rights and freedoms based on the proper qr code once the people accept that how do you stop it from extending into where the government says well you know, if you've been to uh, some websites that the government deems to be bad, well, then you can't go to a, a restaurant, or a gym, or a movie theater,
0: right? What's going to stop them? This the you're charter you're holding up. You're I'm holding up Canadian
1: to... Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. I would hope it would stop it. Would it stop it? I don't know. Well, uh, wait, wait and see. But ultimately, what's yep. going gonna to carry the day and what's going to save us is a change in public opinion. Because what we're we we don't know what the outcome is going to be from these court rulings. We've had uh, one in Manitoba, which had um, Alison Kindle-Piovic on last week. And so that was disappointing. So that was, uh, that was a court case. I don't know how these other court cases are going to go. We're going to wait and see.
0: I was really actually, after doing that interview with Alison, I was actually quite hopeful just because of the points that she had raised. I was actually quite pleased with some of the uh, stuff that she had picked out of there. Before we get into the pandemic of the unvaccinated, I want to throw this one at you in the podcast. I know I brought it up in an email to you. In looking at the charter, the one thing that we see, they have this escape clause in there, which is that you know they can take away our rights if they demonstrably justify it. And that's what the courts used in the Manitoba case, and no doubt we're going to hear more of that kind of thing. In Alberta, we just had a referendum on... The uh, equalization payments, which would require a change in the charter. Do you, you think mean in the constitution? Constitution, sorry, yes. Yeah. Do you think that we could one day get the charter changed to make our rights inalienable? To basically take out that demonstrably justified? I don't like it in there. I want to know my rights are absolute. What do you think That's about the, that? Same answer. You need to change
1: public opinion. If yeah. you have, if you have strong public support for changing the wording of the charter. It would have to be very strong, like mm. not just 60%, but preferably, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the population is in favor of, of, uh, changing the words in the charter. And then you could get the, uh, seven legislatures, seven provincial legislatures with more than 50% of Canada's population and, you know, get the federal parliament, et cetera, et cetera. So it'd be very hard to do, but you need the strong public support. And maybe, uh, when people, Look back on 2021 and the beginning of vaccine passports and when people shake their heads at how stupid and foolish we were and how utterly unscientific and how gullible people were to swallow the six o'clock news as uh, somehow constituting, quote, science, quote, yeah, this is a problem today. They, they think anything, anything, any word that comes out of the mouth of a chief medical officer is so-called science that you, uh, you need not think about and <laughs> you just unquestioningly obey because somebody wearing a, a white lab coat has just told you that this is science. But you know, in the future, when we look back on this era and, and see how stupid and gullible we were and see how much harm and destruction resulted from lockdowns, then uh, if there was strong 80, 90% public opinion support for changing the charter, to make it more harder for governments to violate our rights, make it harder for uh, courts to rubber stamp uh, approval on government action, well, that's what it'll take is the change in public opinion. Sure.
0: Okay. It starts here. It starts now. It starts starts (laughs) here. It starts now. (laughs) All right. Moving along then. Pandemic of the unvaccinated. I read a good column on this where somebody pointed out that that phrase – pandemic of the unvaccinated, wasn't actually a medical phrase. You don't hear of pandemics being qualified that way in science. You don't hear about pandemics of the obese. You don't hear about pandemics of the elderly. You don't hear about pandemics of the unvaccinated in science. It is a political term. So let's start with that. I think that was in a Brownstone article Anyways, we'll start there. They're using this political term, pandemic of the unvaccinated. I know that journalists have used it, and I know that Biden had used it. I don't know whether anybody in power in Alberta or Canada has used it. I didn't find an example of it yet anyway. Well, uh, we'll start there. Has this been a pandemic of the unvaccinated, in your humble opinion, John?
1: No, and I'll, I'll tell you why. But I also have a, and I'll conclude with even if it was, I'll, I'll have another backup to it. Okay. First of all, you're not fully vaxxed until 14 days after receiving the second dose, which means that all the vaccine injured people and most vaccine injuries occur in the first few days after receiving the vaccine. And again, these are... Smaller, uh, you know, minority uh, majority of people getting two doses of the vaccine are just fine so far. I'm not suggesting otherwise. So when the vaccine injured, when they get their injuries, usually in the first few days after getting the first or the second uh, vaccine, when they go into hospital because they were harmed by vaccines, they're counted as unvaccinated. So that's one big that's one big problem. People that have had two different kinds of vaccines for their first and second shot are counted as unvaccinated, because you're not vaccinated until after 14 days after your second vaccine. So uh, that, that's that's one point. The other point, when they talk about COVID patients, the, this is based on a PCR test, which produces false positives up to 90% and should be disregarded as meaningless, especially when the government refuses to say what the cycle threshold is. Because how the how the PCR tests test works is it it magnifies or amplifies, you know, it doubles it, doubles it, doubles it, doubles it, doubles it, doubles it. So after doubling something uh, thirty times, uh, then then it says, oh, you know, the problem with the PCR test is you could have you could have had COVID six months ago and you got some remnant particle in your nose, uh, some little bit of dead virus, and then it gets amplified, right? Doubled, doubled, mm-hmm. doubled, doubled, doubled. So after doubling something 40 times, that's like a, uh, a speck of sand turning into something the size of a pool table. You know, right. so you got dead virus in your nose. You're going to test positive for COVID. It is not a diagnosis. It was not intended to be a diagnosis. So they're still using these PCR tests. So you get somebody comes into hospital because of they, they've been in a car accident, or maybe they, they fell, fell down the stairs, maybe they had a heart attack, this, that, there's any, you know, hundreds of different reasons to be hospitalized. They run a PCR test on you and say, oh, you're positive for COVID. Well, so now you're a COVID patient. So, you know, right. get the hospital full of COVID patients. Well, that's that's not true. The other thing is in relation to hospital beds uh, in Alberta, you've got about eight and a half thousand hospital beds. And so the fear mongering uh, media who are the government funded government propaganda machine, they will say, we have 900 COVID patients in hospital. Ah! And mm-hmm. they won't mention that we have eight and a half thousand beds.
0: Right. Right. And we don't know the primary cause of their hospitalization. There were studies done in other countries. I think England was one where they found something like 80% of those in hospital with COVID were admitted for another reason. So, in other words, they either caught it there or they, were, they got it tested on the way in. They didn't know they had it. And there they are counted as a case, that is a hospitalization case. So, this, well, there's if some perception run- here.
1: If you run PCR tests on on every patient, and I'm sure that that is uh, what, what's being done, um, then you've got a huge number of, of you know people that test positive for COVID that are in a hospital because you're not because you're using a, an unreliable, meaningless test that has a very high false positive rate. The other the other big issue, the underlying issue is is that the hospital capacity has not been increased. Uh, in the state of Florida, you have one hospital bed or one ICU bed. I forget which of those two, but you have one bed for every three thousand people in Florida. In Alberta, you have one bed for every twenty-four thousand people. So you got seven or eight times the um, you got seven or eight times more hospital beds per person in Florida than what you do in Alberta. So no wonder you've got overcrowded hospitals. And again, this is not caused by COVID. It's been a problem for many years. Uh, Jason Kenney has failed utterly and completely to increase the number of ICU spaces, which he said in April of 2020, we're going to increase the number of ICU spaces. He was asked six months later, was, you know, why hasn't this been done? And he said, well, it's not that simple. It's not just about buying equipment, but you got to train all the people. Okay, now we're a year and a half later. So you've had a year and a half to buy equipment and train people. And why are you still stuck with... Uh, this small number of ICU spaces that is... Because uh, they're firing the unvaxxed, that's why. And we're firing, on in British Columbia, 4,000, uh, apparently yeah. 4,000 4, nurses, uh, I don't know if that, other healthcare workers included as well, but 4,000 people fired, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, no, that's, that's significant, and it's probably... And they were talking about all the cancelled surgeries that were happening as well because of that, and it's mostly happening in the outlying areas, not in the main cities. That's where the surgeries are being canceled, not necessarily where the. Uh,
1: Which is the also where says- you have British Columbia has been pretty much COVID-free in the past. You know, other than the Vancouver and Lower Mainland, uh, the rest of the province has not been an issue. So this is this is more government. But here, here's another reason why. You cannot trust the government when the government says we have a pandemic of the unvaccinated well, as you pointed out, that's not even a medical term it's just a it's a political slogan. so right off the bat, why trust right. it? Mm-hmm. But the other reasons not to trust it is we've had and we continue to have this propaganda that we should all be living in fear of this virus and taking whatever precautions whether they work or not, <laughs> whether they're scientific or not you know. The government is asking us to revolve our our lives around uh, this virus, and this is all predicated on the big lie that this is as bad as the Spanish flu of 1918, and it's not. And then my last point is, even if this was correct, why is it okay now to – let's assume for argument's sake that the – uh The government is speaking the truth, and we really do have a problem with hospitals being overrun by unvaccinated people. And that if these, you know, stupid, evil, unvaccinated people had just participated in the big experiment and gotten two jabs, that right now we would not have full hospitals. Let's assume that's true for a moment. I would ask the question, why is it okay now to pick on a uh, minority for poor personal choices, poor moral choices when that has been absolutely taboo in recent decades. Uh, when's the last time you heard somebody say publicly that you know uh, sexually transmitted diseases, which I think I think it's the new term sexually transmitted infections uh, that you know other than cases of, of rape, those are uh, self-inflicted, very avoidable illnesses if only people would uh, control their sexual behavior. So therefore, those people should pay for their own medication. When's the last time that you heard somebody make that argument?
0: Yeah Publicly. it's been a while?
1: Never, right? Well, maybe maybe you'd have to go back several decades before you'd find somebody no, saying no, public- I, think it was,
0: I think it was within a decade that people have made that argument and not a popular argument. Not a pop- shouted it down. You know, well, there you go. Not a, Shout it down. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess that's
1: a better question. Was it a popular argument? I mean, no. so the argument's been made. The same with obesity. Obesity contributes, uh, in some cases, causes and in other cases, exacerbates all kinds of different medical decisions. I've heard uh, type 2 diabetes described as you know self-inflicted diabetes through just eating too much for a very long time or eating too much sugar over a period of too much time. But there's no doubt that obesity either causes or contributes to the cause or exacerbates all kinds of different medical conditions. So, do we hear uh, Justin Trudeau and Jason Kenney talking about a pandemic of the obese? Well, no, because we've got this notion in place that everybody should get the medical treatment, and we're not going to. It's going to be non-judgmental. We're not going to inquire as to whether you could have prevented this disease. Right, and that's changed. Okay.
0: In the last and that's just six that's months. Just
1: changed changed that's out changed. the window gone not, not even <laughs> no in the past, not even six months in the past two months that's that's changed in the past two months now suddenly suddenly there's this moral responsibility that the unvaccinated people uh vile scum lepers that that they are you know should be publicly vilified and humiliated because they're making this uh this terrible moral choice and again i could I, I just – I don't like the double standard. I, I I guess that's what troubles me is that
0: – It's well, worse and, than that. It's worse than just a double standard. In Alberta, we have on the JCCF website some data that shows while they were busy blaming the unvaxxed with flooding the hospitals that they actually didn't have enough vaccine in stock. And so – Alberta didn't really have the ability to get fully vaccinated while they were blaming the unvaxed. And there's another point I want to bring up here, and that is this. A lot of the deaths in Alberta are in the elderly. This is the most susceptible group. You can't convince me that those people that are in the greatest jeopardy all refused the vaccine. They probably didn't. They probably didn't get it because they we didn't have it. So I, I agree with necessary. that. I
1: find that, I find that very hard to believe that there were huge numbers. I'm sure there were, and I, I personally know, uh, I personally know some elderly people that, that have refused, that are refusing to participate in the big, uh, mRNA gene therapy experiment. But I would be extremely surprised if, if you were, uh, if you were to look at the, Age data on vaccine recipients, I would venture an educated guess based on what I've seen in the past year and a half that it'd be overwhelmed that the elderly people would be overwhelmingly very interested in getting this. But, but vaccinated or not, you're back down to the same bottom line, same place we've been for the last year and a half. If you are 85 years old in a nursing home and you have a cancer and heart disease and emphysema, you are not going to live that much longer. And so even, uh, I think a lot of vaccinated deaths, I wouldn't necessarily blame it on the vaccine. I I think that would be a bit of a, you know, knee-jerk political type of response to, you you could point, you could say, oh, you know, look at all those elderly people that got vaccinated and they all died. You know, therefore it was the vaccine. I don't think that that would be fair either. But if, if you're 85 and you've got three or more serious health conditions, you're not going to live that much longer, whether you're
0: vaccinated or not. Right So, no, but the, 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 what I was objecting to was them implying that these were all refusenics when they didn't have enough vaccine available for, right. for everybody because so. in,
1: in Alberta, it was not until October fifth that the government actually had the adequate number of vaccine doses to put to inject into everybody over the age of eleven. And by the way, the uh Alberta government is counting the zero to eleven as unvaccinated. Which right. is yeah. which is intellectually dishonest. I mean there there you go with the so-called science once again, right? If yeah. if um
0: uh, the, 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 and those, Saskatchewan uh, they're they're actually extending the period to twenty-one days after the vaccine before you're considered vaccinated for your first dose. So yeah, there you go. Just move the go pulse around. If you need more unvaccinated people, just Change the categories and voila. Anybody just make a note of that. Okay. uh, I think we've got made our point there. I'm sure we're going to come up with more data in the future on that one, but we won't exhaust it right now. Let's uh, switch to a recent uh, Supreme court decision that, uh, touched on free speech in Canada that made the papers. It wasn't a JCCF case or a Justice Center case, but I know it's one that you followed pretty closely over the years because it's been ongoing for quite a while. And that is the case of uh, this comedian by name of Ward out of Quebec and his making fun of a disabled man, Gabriel, Jeremy Gabriel. Why don't you uh, give us your thoughts on that case, John?
1: Yes, so the Supreme Court of Canada uh, rendered its decision on Friday, October the 29th. It was a 5-4 split. The case is called uh, Mike Ward versus Commission des Droits de la Personne et des Droits de la Jeunesse, or Commission. It's indexed as Ward versus Quebec. And you can get this. There's a website called um, Canley, which is Canadian Legal Information Institute, And so if you type in C-A-N-L-I-I dot org and you get to it and then you can, you know, you pick your province or you pick federal Supreme Court, uh, that's a good website. The Supreme Court of Canada itself would also have it uh, on its own website. So Ward versus Quebec, Friday, October 29th, five to four decision. Uh, Interesting facts, you could not find a more sympathetic plaintiff than Jeremy Gabriel. He was born deaf. He suffers from Treacher Collins syndrome, which is a rare congenital disorder. It's characterized by severe deformities of the head and the face. Uh, people might have absent cheekbones, or they might have malformed or absent ears. And uh, since uh, since birth, Jeremy, who is now in his mid twenties, has uh, undergone twenty three surgeries. He was born deaf, but he's worn a special hearing aid since age six. And so he learned to speak and sing. At the age of nine, uh, Jeremy sang the national anthem at a Montreal Canadiens hockey game. And the following year, he sang before Pope Benedict in Rome. And his professional singing has raised money for nonprofits. And so very, very sympathetic. And there's a comedian, Mike Ward, who made fun of Jeremy Gabriel, Ward described Gabrielle's large hearing aid as a subwoofer. Uh, he insinuated that Gabrielle's mother had used his money to buy herself a sports car. He kind of mocked and made fun of, of Jeremy on, uh, on quite a few occasions, apparently 230 live performances uh, that were heard by, by more than 130,000 people. And he, uh, He's one who always tramples on uh, sacred cows, as most comedians do, including race and religion. And so he mocked uh, Jeremy Gabrielle, and who, at the age of fourteen, uh, upon seeing this public mockery, the comedy routine of Mike Ward, started to question his own worth. He lost confidence and hope, uh, became depressed, lost his desire to sing, and. Uh, Gabriel's mother said that uh, she even encountered people who thought that she was rich and who accused her of taking advantage of her son. So, can you blame uh, the parents for filing a human rights complaint? And, you know, it'd be, be hard to blame the parents for doing that. It's a legal mechanism that exists. And uh, so he was, uh, so Mike Ward, the comedian, was ordered to pay $42,000 to Gabrielle and the family. Uh, in general and punitive damages. What's the matter with this? Well, I argued in in uh, National Post column in 2016, that the problem is the infringement on free expression, where hurt feelings can put, have a chilling effect that, that take away from your right and my right to speak freely. Now, of course, this is an egregious example. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I find it pretty harsh uh, and cruel and unfair, the types of jokes that Mike Ward made at the expense of, of a handicapped person. And yet, I'm pleased with the outcome by the Supreme Court of Canada, ruled five to four, that the essentially the free speech rights of Mike Ward are more important than protecting Jeremy Gabriel from hurt feelings. And I I agree with that outcome because fundamentally we have a choice in a free society. Either we say that people have a right to not feel offended, people have a right to not have their feelings hurt, a legal right, or we have a legal right to freely express our thoughts and beliefs and opinions And those two things are in conflict. You can't say, as many Canadians would like to say, well, I support free expression uh, as long as it's not offensive. Well, you never know ahead of time what's going to be offensive to somebody else. I mean, you can make some predictions, but you don't really know. And even if something is offensive, I mean, you know, I'm sure that uh, vigorous, aggressive criticism of Islam is probably offensive to to. Some Muslims, maybe most Muslims, maybe all Muslims—I don't know. In the same way that that you know, Orthodox Judaism or Christianity or any other it, atheism as a creed, you know, if you get a very vigorous, aggressive criticism that says that this religion or this belief system that it's, it's stupid and that it's false and it's not founded on uh, reality and, and that it's unscientific and this that and the other thing, you know, it uh, it hurts. Uh, if you belong to that group of Muslims or Christians or atheists or whatever, I have no doubt in my mind that it's, it's hurtful to uh, LGBTQ people when you've got, say, uh, you know, Muslim or Christian or even non religious person saying that, uh, uh, you know, gay sex is, is uh, disgusting and unnatural and whatever. That can be hurtful. There's all kinds of things that can be hurtful. But in a free society, uh, freedom of expression boils down to a right to offend, even if whether that's your intention or not. If we have free expression, then we're going to be offended. Or if we want a society where you don't get offended, then you got to shut down the free expression. You cannot have it both ways. So here, in a five-four decision, uh, the Supreme Court fundamentally said, at least. On this case, in regards to this fact scenario concerning these people, the court ruled five to four that uh, to uphold the free expression rights of the comedian and, uh, you know, dissenting minority of four that uh, would have, (laughs) with one more vote, uh, they would have ruled in favor of Jeremy Gabriel.
0: Right. Okay. uh, So you wrote about this, you wrote about this back in 2016. We're yeah. now five years later. We've got cancel culture flying around. We've got hurt feelings uh, being honored uh, in university students. That's a uh, snowflake culture, I would call it. We seem to have gone farther down the road of honoring hurt feelings. Are you surprised by this ruling at all? Are you surprised?
1: A little bit. Um, I, I, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm happily surprised. When I saw the 2018 and read it's uh, 65 gr- gruesome pages, it, it reads like a left wing political tract. There's not much law in it. But when I read the 65 page Trinity Western decision of the Supreme Court of Canada in June of 2018, there were only there were only two judges on the court, uh, Justice Cote and Justice Brown, who defended the Charter. Freedoms of uh, Conscience and Religion and Expression and Association of Trinity Western University. And it was a seven to two decision that uh, was just one of the worst for charter freedoms. And um, if I had had to guess the outcome of this case before the judgment was released, I would have predicted that Justices Coté and Brown, who were the kind of the pro-charter dissenters in the Trinity Western case, I would have predicted that they would have been on the side of uh, free expression and they would have ruled for Mike Ward, the comedian. And, and I was correct. Uh, those two are in the majority ruling. They're amongst the five. But as to who the others would be, I would not have been able to guess. As it turns out, it was Chief Justice Wagner and Justices Moldaver and Roe, who joined Justices Coté and Brown. And so the five of them together uh, have a pro-free expression ruling. And the dissent is uh, four Justices, Abella, Kasirer, Kara Ketsanis, and Martin.
0: Okay. And so you are surprised based on the fact that we've gone farther down the road, or you just uh, – you might – I'm, I'm happily –
1: I'm happily surprised that there were five justices on the Supreme Court that would rule in favor of free expression. I'm happily surprised. I would not have been at all surprised if we'd had, you know, five or six or seven ruling against Mike Ward in this case. It would not have surprised me. So I'm happily surprised we got five. Uh, You know, more would have been better, but.
0: Well, okay, so you're happy that we've got this ruling, and I guess uh, this bodes well for our... Court cases pushing onto the Supreme Court now, I guess, uh, or potentially doing that anyway. So, I mean, it must, seeing this not really necessarily a shift of the court, but at least a judgment that you find surprising, it must make you feel a little bit more hopeful with the court cases that we're going through now.
1: Well, there's always spinoff effects. I mean, it's hard to predict, you know, to what extent is a free expression ruling going to uh, impact court challenges regarding. Uh, lockdowns, and vaccine passports. But a good thing is a good thing, even if you cannot predict the uh, spin-off effects. Uh, the other thing I want to move on to just briefly is, is we did have the annual George Jonas Freedom Award in nice. 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, we were forced... More or less, uh, although you know, Jonathan K would argue that you know we had a choice, uh, which <laughs> just to bring it all together, <laughs> just to bring it all together, we we chose to not be the enforcers of vaccine passport policies. So we were going to have a, uh, a live in person dinner. It would have been a wonderful event, uh, but we decided that we were not going to be the enforcers of vaccine passports at this event. So we moved on to a Zoom event, which we had on. October the 21st. And just by way of background, George Jonas was born in Hungary in 1936. He died in Toronto in 2016. He escaped from communist Hungary in 1956 when the anti-communists temporarily took over and took power uh, until Khrushchev and the Russian tanks got sent into Hungary to restore communism again. And yeah, there were probably some you know Czech and Polish and East German and whatnot, other uh, armies also invading, but but it was uh, the, the Soviets forced Hungary back into communism after a few months of freedom. During that window, there were a lot of Hungarians who escaped to the West. George Jonas, because of his age, having been born in 1935, he vividly remembers the uh, the persecution against the Jews. Because the uh, Hungary at that time had a pro-Nazi uh, fascist government that was anti-Semitic, and one of the most remarkable things that George Jonas talks about is how, at a certain point in time, the the persecution of the Jews in Hungary was getting worse and worse, and so they uh, George Jonas's parents decided they wanted to go into hiding. Uh, right, to protect themselves and just uh, take shelter in some attic or basement and just go underground, kind of disappear off of the face of the earth, go into hiding so that you're not going to be rounded up by the authorities. And so they had a lot of very uh, cosmopolitan, enlightened, liberal-minded friends, none of whom would would provide any shelter or practical help. And they ended up getting shelter- from this anti-Semitic family that actually disliked Jews, but also believed that it was wrong to persecute and kill Jews. And so what George Jonas had argued, one of the argued many things in his life, but one of his arguments was we, we shouldn't bother trying to get people to let go of their bigotries and prejudices because we, people will always have prejudices and bigotries and as as absolutely you cannot weed that out you cannot get rid of it that it's just so ingrained in human nature that we tend to we will invariably dislike certain groups based on if it's not their race or their religion it'll be their political beliefs maybe their vaccination status you know we always have this you know ingrained human nature bigotry and so he said, the important thing is not, not to try to eradicate bigotry, which is futile. What we should do instead is just teach people that it's wrong to kill people. <laughs> right. That's and, the important point. Fundamental,
0: yeah. Fundamental. That's pretty right. fundamental yeah.
1: because he and his family were the right ultimately not to be murdered. the right not to be murdered. He and his family were helped in a practical, tangible way. They were helped to escape from anti Semitic persecution. By anti-Semitic people who disliked Jews, who were nonetheless convinced that it was completely and totally wrong to kill Jews. And so on that basis, they took in these Jews, whom they didn't like, right. to to protect them from getting killed.
0: They were adhering to a higher law, I think. The... So
1: the higher law is thou shalt yeah. not kill. Yeah. And, you know, whether you really like or dislike members of other groups, that's like far less important than than that higher law, thou shalt not kill. So George Jonas said that he uh, escaped uh, the the virus of of socialism and communism, but in his later years, before he died in 2016, he said, sadly, I think the virus has followed me here to Canada. And uh, he lamented what he saw as the uh, disappearance, the gradual disappearance of freedom in Canada, and always writing from somebody that had had lived under, suffered under both uh, Nazi or, or pro-Nazi fascist regime. But then in 1945, you know, Stalin and the Red Army came and took over, and communism was imposed on uh, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, uh, Poland, Romania, uh, East Germany, so on and so forth. And so he saw that as well. He, he saw it for what it was—that it was it was oppressive. And right. dehumanizing. And so he came to Canada in 1956, had an illustrious career as an author, journalist, and he also uh, was a big contributor to the Justice Centre, because when the Justice Centre got off the ground 11 years ago in 2010, uh, we received funding from a foundation. It's now, it no longer exists, uh, but it's the Oria Foundation, and they gave the Justice Centre grants of 50000 per year, 75000 per year. And even today, we'd be very happy with grants of, of that size. But when you're first getting off the ground, it is especially important that you get a donor uh, that says, okay, here's 50000 here's 75000 So it was grants of that amount that we received. And George was on the board of directors of the Oria Foundation, and so uh, you know, I don't know what role he, you know, th- those meetings were secret, obviously, but I, I like to think that he was influential within the Oria Foundation. And so that gave uh, funding to the Justice Center in, in the early stages. So after he passed away in 2016, I approached his widow, Maya Jonas, and asked for her support for instituting an annual George Jones Freedom Award, and she said yes, so I'm happy for for that. Uh, So in 2018, the winner was Mark Stein, uh, introduced by Conrad Black. In 2019, the winner was Christy Blatchford, who was introduced by Maureen uh, Hennon. And then in um, 2020, the winner was uh, Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, in 2021, the winner was Canadians Resisting Unconstitutional Lockdowns. So the award has effectively been presented to a large group of uh, unidentified individuals. Uh, we do have a wonderful 30 minute uh, video presentation of a half dozen Canadians who were interviewed for, uh, as kind of rep- amongst the representatives uh, of the large group of, canadians resisting unconstitutional lockdowns uh, so we had uh, uh lieutenant colonel dave redmond uh we had several medical doctors uh, and the keynote speakers were dr jay Bhattacharya from stanford university and dr francis christian from from saskatchewan who is uh, lost his job and is facing all kinds of problems simply for having said that we need informed consent on vaccines. You know, and Dr. Christian himself, he's made it clear he was speaking only on behalf of himself. He's not speaking on behalf of other groups. And that he himself has had, and his children, he's pro-vaccine, you know, he's had the polio and this, that, and the other thing, and he's pro-vaccine. And, uh, you know, but that the people in Saskatchewan, uh, parents are not getting and kids are not getting the full information on the experimental mRNA vaccine. So we have a lack of informed consent. And for that, over that, he's been removed from his uh, job, removed from his teaching position at the university, and uh, is uh, likely to be facing disciplinary proceedings from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Saskatchewan.
0: And his speech was a real barn burner. It's an excellent speech. And there's a transcription of it on the uh, Justice Center website. I'll provide Correct. a link to it. Yeah, great speech where he referenced uh, Samizdat and Poland, uh, all kinds of other oppressive regimes, and kind of what we're heading into now. And I, I, I found it quite stirring and I thought it was a great speech. And um, I thought he should have won the award. Instead, you gave it to everybody. Hang on. <laughs> what I must confess when I first heard you know you were giving it to everybody I was thinking oh great prizes for everyone you know but
1: no <laughs> no 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 this this the George Jonas Freedom Award is not presented to all Canadians it was presented to Canadians resisting unconstitutional lockdowns as okay. different means of resisting I mean for some people you know depending on your your station in life your situation your circumstances for some people resisting can be uh, something as small as uh, going door to door with brochures and putting brochures in mailboxes to educate the public with the truth about what's going on with with uh, government policies and lockdowns. Uh, for some people, it Uh, would be to take part in in peaceful demonstrations. For some people, it's to contact their elected representatives. For some doctors, it has meant speaking out publicly about how how unscientific these lockdown measures are and how much harm they're inflicting on people Uh, and to to publicly question the government narrative on
0: uh, on the vaccines, so on and so forth. So So, uh, so. people can still qualify for this award then? Even though it's been awarded, you can still get a piece of the action... By joining the resistance. Exactly. Peaceful resistance. I
1: emphasize peaceful. I just want to make it clear. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, uh, violence is not the way to go, but we need peaceful resistance against the, uh the injustice and uh government policies that are founded on lies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Rather than based on, on uh, science and based on truth.
0: Right. And, uh, any other final thoughts on the award you felt it was successful and uh, the the dinner even though i didn't get my uh chicken dinner that i would have had it had it been a real uh, dinner i did make myself a nice uh, snack for that uh, zoom meeting though so
1: well i hope that the uh I, I hope people did i hope a lot of people did what you did and you know turned it even though you're at home but maybe uh have a have a meal or glass of wine or something while while listening to these two. I did have an open and... bar. Good.
0: <laughs> and on that, I guess we can call an end to our show, uh, episode thirty-seven of Justice with John Carpe. Great talking to you again, and I look forward to speaking to you next week. All right, thanks, Kevin. Have a good week.